Watch this immediately. Watch this immediately. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Watch This Immediately. This is a investigational podcast, I would say, about what makes American popular culture, what we've missed, what's important, what's not important, and why we've missed the things that we've missed. Okay. Okay. This is, uh, this is Benir. And this is Steven. So um, I would say that this uh, podcast, we're going to figure out if something is a cultural touchstone, a beige carpet, <laughs> or <laughs> a regrettable dalliance. Yes. <coughs> and the where we come from with this is... Myself, I grew up in the Midwest. Um, I am the son of a preacher and a nurse. And so until about 1983, and even a little bit beyond that, I knew mostly the church and contemporary Christian music of the time and things like that. And my family didn't go to see a whole lot of movies. We had no objections to them. We just didn't go a whole lot. And as a result, I missed out on a lot of things, particularly in the 80s, that are considered absolute must-sees. Things that you have to hear, things that you have to read, things that you have to see in the movie theater or on TV. I missed it. I was growing up in Saudi Arabia. And so, yeah, as a result, I missed basically all contemporary pop culture because everything came, what, like two to five years later? So it was kind of a jump when I got here. So as a result of that, <coughs> Munir and I have slightly skewed popular cultural references for people of our age. And there are blind spots in my popular cult- pop culture experience that have been pointed out and mocked ruthlessly um, by my girlfriend. <laughs> and um, there are some things I would say to say in your pop cultural experience that you just missed for whatever reason. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff like um, a lot, a lot of the movies that were big in the um, '80s, like Pretty in Pink and things like that. I I've not seen at all. Understandable. So what we're gonna do is we're going to try and figure out with each episode something that one of us has not experienced, that the other one feels that they should have experienced. That's important to be an American who has experienced this thing. And we're just going to try and determine whether or not that thing actually qualifies as the cultural touchstone that one of us seems to think it is. Mm Mm-hmm. Great. That sounds good to me. Simple, right? Yes, sir. To determine what is important in pop culture? We We can do that between the two of us. We're the sole arbiters of this. Exactly. I think we are just just enough removed. There are certain things I don't know, certain things you don't know. We would be the perfect jury members. Yes, correct. Because you want, for a jury, you want somebody who doesn't know Dick. I I think I could qualify for that. I could as well. Mm -hmm. This is going to be good. (laughs) I'm excited about the possibilities. And obviously, we're not ever going to be able to wrap our heads completely around what is it that makes something important culturally. But I think it'll be fun to just look at it and have a conversation about why we've missed what we've missed and whether it's important or not to us. And whether it would have been important to us at the time if we had experienced it and whether it seems like it's important now. Okay. 
Nice. So, so what do we have today? Earlier, we called the show Watch This Immediately. Yes. So at the end of every episode, I think, one of us will be able to issue a declaration to the other. Okay. Something that they need to watch immediately. Okay. And we will talk about that the next time. Okay. We'll do uh, it. For this one, we're going to try something. We're going to start with a TV show. And this is one of my absolute all-time favorite television shows. It's called News Radio. And News Radio existed from 1995 until 1999, I believe. Um, total of five seasons. And it follows the news radio station WNYX in New York. It is a workplace comedy that uh, came in right as I was in college. So this is my first semester in college, and I just happened upon this show because I had nothing to do and I had no friends, and we had free cable TV in the dorms. Yeah, we did. It was fantastic (laughs) for a pale, friendless virgin. (laughs) And so one of the nights that I was just kind of sitting alone, eating pizza and watching TV, I happened upon this show. I don't remember if I saw the first episode, but I do remember seeing an episode. It was either the second or the third one called Big Day. Hmm. Okay. And I, it caught my attention because it has a solid joke about Shaft in it. <laughs> you know, I actually remember uh, reading about that Shaft joke in TV Guide. <laughs> now that I think about it, yes. Yeah. It, it was a great joke. Yeah. And that was one of the things that first caught my attention about this show, is that this show gets its facts right. This show gets its references right. And to a nerd in the 1990s, that was actually a really important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because this show um, came about at a time when there was The Simpsons, and that was about it. The Simpsons was the only show at this time that was really concerned with, okay, if we're making a reference to something, are we getting it right? Correct. Um, so, you know, no... No combining Star Wars and Star Trek. Right, know, exactly. Nothing like that. And it was important to these people because this show was written by nerds, kind of for nerds, mm-hmm. and it, it struck me immediately, and I loved it. And I didn't see most of it until a couple of years later in college when some local station had on like two episodes a night for syndication. Ah, it was fantastic. Interesting. So like right before I would go to bed every night, watch an hour of news radio before I went to bed. Wait, so it was syndicated before it reached 100 episodes, huh? Yeah, and I don't know why because it technically never did. There's about yeah. there's 97 episodes of this show. Oh, interesting. Even if you combine the last season, which does not have one of the main cast members for the other seasons. Okay, interesting. Um, but so this show starred, um, I almost said Dave Nelson, but it stars uh, Dave Foley of Kids in the Hall fame as the news director of WNYX. Um, <clears throat> Stephen Root as the eccentric billionaire owner of the station, Jimmy James. Uh, the late Phil Hartman as Bill McNeil, who is mm. the one of the lead uh, vocal talents on the show. And um, filling the other roles, we have Candy Alexander as the other main vocal talent. Uh, Joe Rogan, who we'll get into later oh, as the mechanic God. and all-around fix-it guy for the station. Andy Dick, who we will also get into later as a reporter slash weird guy. Reporter? Okay. He's, it, technically, right. he's a reporter. Very well. Um, and Maura Tierney as one of the um, one of the other reporters, and of course Vicky Lewis mm-hmm. as Beth, okay. who is the station secretary. Got it. Got and it. So, typical workplace comedy. If you've seen one of these in the 1990s, you saw them all. But this one had just something special. It had um, 
had better writing. It had just an absolutely great cast, I think. And um, ultimately, I think it stands above all the other workplace comedies of the 1990s. And I think as a piece of nerd culture, it is a cultural touchstone. Hmm. So the hmm. two episodes that I have picked for this to stand for the entire news radio catalog are Season 3, Episode 4, entitled Arcade, and Season 3, Episode 19, entitled Office Feud. So if you have those and you want to follow along with us on this journey, I think you can probably buy them on YouTube for a couple of dollars a piece. Uh, They're available on DVD. Otherwise, they are not easily available to find streaming. So I Oh okay. I was gonna I ask think about Crackle that. has one season. It's Crackle. Yeah. Wow. That's that's really hitting the bottom of the barrel there. Yeah. It's well they're owned by Sony and oh, Crackle's fair. owned by Sony and for whatever reason Sony is not very proud of this show. Uh, it's only got one DVD release and that's it. It's never been mastered for high def. Um, the DVDs only have a couple of commentary tracks and that's it. So, did they release all of the um, episode, all of the episodes in DVD? They did. Okay, so it is available out there. You would just have to find it. Um, so, if you want to join us, by all means, we're going to take a moment. You can watch these, and we'll be right back with you. Cool. All right. Oh wait, I didn't. Uh. So now. You have experienced two episodes of News Radio. Yes. What are your initial thoughts? Man, I, I love this show. It's great. Like, uh, I, I like the banter. Just the general vibe amongst all of the cast members is nice. This, although, I will say one thing. Um, this is something you'd brought up before about um, there's some shows where the characters don't really appear to like each other. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that this is this rises to the level of like the office level of dislike amongst everyone, hmm. but there's definitely a bit of antagonism amongst the characters. There certainly is, mm-hmm. um, and I think that was something that was just a part of the sitcom writing at the time. Yeah, um, I think most sitcoms that you look at, especially up until maybe just the last ten or fifteen years or twenty years. It was. It seemed like everybody hated each other, and that's exactly. where all of the conflict came from. Is this concept that we don't, wherever we are, we don't want to be there. We don't want to be there with each other. Correct. And we all hate everybody. Correct. And you know, I, I would say though that the uh, characters in this particular show are a bit more, a bit more affectionate of each other than, let's say, everybody loves Raymond, for example. That's fair. <laughs> that's definitely. Fair. And I, I mean, there were so many other things like this at the time. There was suddenly Susan. There was Caroline in the city. Oh gosh. Um, there were there were all sorts of office workplace comedies. And there's even a joke in one of the episodes that we watched um, where Joe Rogan says every office has a sassy red. Oh yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, it does. And it's a crack at um, Kathy Griffin, who was on. <laughs> I want to say suddenly Susan. Um, but she suddenly Susan started after news radio, so they were accusing them of kind of stealing the Vicky Lewis thunder. That was Brooke, Brooke Shields on that, right? I think so. Yeah, I think so too. I, Caroline in the city and suddenly Susan both meld together for me. I, yeah, I don't remember much from mine. You know, to be honest, um, this show I've always gotten uh, mixed up with Sports Night. I can see that a little bit. Because it's just, it's just you know, I've not seen a lot of either show. 
and they're both, I believe, set at media like stations. And so, um, yeah, whenever I think of sports, and, and they're both, you know, things that were, they're, they're both shows that were acclaimed, but didn't necessarily last all that long. Yeah. So yeah, I've 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 always like like sports night. They're like, oh my god, it's the best, and news radio, oh my god, it's the best. So it it almost in my mind became a little interchangeable. So it would be interesting to maybe see some sports night to to contrast it. But I mean, this show is fantastic. I loved it. The sports night, I definitely see the comparison because um, yeah, I, I mean, both at media outlets, everyone's always wearing suits. Yes. Um, so the the visual aspect is there too. Um, I it had a much more relaxed vibe mm-hmm. um, because it was um, oh damn who was it it wasn't David Mamet I can't remember who the um, Aaron Sorkin it was oh, an okay. Aaron Sorkin joint so I can definitely mm. it was it was a more relaxed vibe the um, dialogue was even more observed and well so, yeah Aaron Sorkin come on yeah so every every word was in place <laughs> um, was there was there the same sort of like walk with me while I banter wittily with each person. Oh, that was that, it was Aaron Sorkin, so you're definitely going to get that <laughs> in Sports Night. Um, I remember that being on when I was, uh, when I was driving. Um, I was a courier, and I had to drive late nights. Oh. And that would be on, like, Comedy Central as I was getting up in the evening. Okay. And so I would watch Sports Night, and I don't remember anything of it except for thinking, this is good, it's not necessarily funny, Mm-hmm. But it's good. Yeah, Sorkin is an absorb. Uh, sorry, he is definitely an acquired taste. I think. Yeah, but it's it's definitely not bad. Yeah. So the episodes that we watched for this, uh, the first one was Arcade, and there's a reason why I chose Arcade. Um, it's difficult. It's really hard to pick two episodes that really sum up a show, because part of the part of the fun of a good show, a good television show, is the relationships between the characters and the history of the characters and the things that like the little things that you notice about the performances and it it makes the whole bigger than the sum of its parts Mm -hmm. and so it's hard to just say well these are the two um that really speak to that because for one thing i didn't i hadn't watched any of these in a little while and i didn't watch any of them in preparation for the show um i i just went through i um was uh, sitting with my girlfriend Lizette and mm-hmm. uh, friend of the friend of the show, girlfriend of the podcaster, and I. While she was um, I, she was doing a puzzle or she was watching a TV show or something, I was looking through the DVDs and like, oh, okay, I remember this, I remember this, I remember okay. this, and so I had before I came over here, I had a list of like eleven episodes that were potentials. All right, and the reason that I chose this one is because this one gets its facts straight. Mm-hmm. And that was really important to me, and that was something that I really love about this show. Um, because for one thing, um, the arcade machine that is a centerpiece of the episode, they call it Stargate Defender. Um, that's kind of splitting the difference, because the video game machine, the game has two names. Hmm. It's either Defender 2, because it's a sequel to the video game Defender, or it's called Stargate. You can find it in either version. Probably licensing. I did not know that this was a real game because you you rarely see that in shows. They always make yeah. up stuff. Yeah, and they they even use even though um, most of the cabinet details are blocked off, um, they use the same type of cabinet that is a Stargate cabinet. Hmm. 
Um, and you, in certain close-up shots, you can see a logo that says Defender 2 on it. Um, and they even talk about, um, he says something about like the golden age before the 16-bit processors. <laughs> yes. Says it's you know, released <laughs> in 1981. All of these things are accurate. Um, he mentions the Eulabian space guppies and how you have to save the humanoids. These are all elements of Stargate. All right. So I love the fact that they got all of this correct. Um, it's a cheat that they call the Stargate Defender, but it, it they split the difference. And they, well, they also got, you know, they, they called it Star Trek Invader at some point. Yeah. <laughs> More tyranny did, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is a great way to piss off the nerds. Um, but there are, there are so many other jokes in there. There's the MASH-related joke. Um, there's a joke on flowers for Algernon. Oh, yes. Um, there's a line from Jimmy James. He says, what's the buzz? Tell me what's happening. That's a line from a song in Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> so it runs deep in almost every episode of News Radio. But this episode is especially deep in making specific references that you don't necessarily have to get. Um, but it makes it better if you do. And that's something that The Simpsons did really well, and it's something that News Radio did really well at its best. And so that's why I, I brought this episode out. I just like the I just like the way the characters talk too. Like uh Phil Hartman, by far my favorite. Oh yeah. But like when um when when Dave uh, Dave Foley goes up to the machine, he goes, "We meet again." <laughs> That's definitely like the way I would talk. So I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, there's a <laughs> lot of great lines throughout this series that I still quote today. There's one from the other episode we watched that uh, is, "This is turning out to be the worst day of my life." Yes, <laughs> which I, is the perfect line to overstate when when something is just. Something bad just happens to you, yeah. and it's you just want to overstate what's happening. You just say, "This is turning out to be the worst day of my life." And you know, um, the other so so in the first one, just there was a lot going on. Of course, in addition to the arcade, they uh, like uh, Dave Foley and Mar- Maura Tierney decide to take the SATs. And a thing I noticed: young Flex Alexander, and it appears that he is never he was like born with a man bun. <laughs> <laughs> no, who is Flex Alexander? Because I have no he, clue. He was the he was the young black kid who was asking um, Dave Foley at the SATs, like, "Hey, is, is your mom around?" Okay, and where would I know him from? Uh, he's he's really big in like urban quote unquote entertainment. So you know he he was in a fair amount of shows in the late um, late nineties two thousands. Um, I mean, if if you have not seen like. Movies and TV shows that were primarily um, directed towards a black audience. You may may not know him. What would you say is the biggest thing that you can think of off the top of your head that he was in? Oh God, there there was a, a CW sitcom. I can't remember the name of it. But Home Boys in Space. Oh, God no. Damn it. <laughs> no no. Um, I'll have I'll have to I'll have to remember, but. He was the main character in a CW sitcom before it became like the place for young white girl aspirations. <laughs> you should write their catchphrases or their taglines. Yeah, yeah. CW, the place <laughs> for white girl aspirations. <laughs> and uh, so the other thing I wanted to ask about was, so Maura Tierney at the SATs is openly smoking within a school. Yes. Is... I don't ninety five man. I feel like smoking was not a thing anymore in school. 
It might not have been, but this also might not have been in the school. I mean, there was a ton of graffiti on the walls. One way or another, it was not a great school. Okay. This might have been a community center or something like that. In the 90s, I remember you still could smoke. Oh, yeah. You you could smoke inside all the time. Geez, I worked in a restaurant that allowed people to smoke until 2000. (laughs) Oh, no. Had a smoking section. It had it beyond that, too. I just, I quit in 2000, but had a smoking section. And uh, the, the running... So in each of these episodes, um, the Phil Hartman kind of running jokes were the best. And that's this show did um, really well in its use of Phil Hartman because Phil Hartman was coming off Saturday Night Live Mm -hmm. when he started this. And he could have done he could have just been the lead in the sitcom and been the dad or whatever. And I think he for whatever reason, I think he made the smart decision, which was to be part of an ensemble. Because Phil yes. Hartman works best when he comes in and just murders a line. Oh, my or God. Or just steals yes. a scene. That's the best Phil Hartman. And I really love the work that he does in these episodes. Wait a second. So you alluded to the fact that in the last season, one of the characters was not there. Was that when Phil Hartman passed? Yes. Uh, oh, Phil no. Hartman was killed by his wife in between seasons four and five. God. And so John Lovitz came in as a different character. Um, he didn't try to replace oh, thank God. The, the, the same character. But good, good, good. Uh, John Lovitz um, takes part in season five, and it is a different animal. Um, the yeah. show is not the same. I would not think so. Not with John Lovitz. No. The, the energy is completely different. And I've watched the seasons one through four dozens of times. Season five, I think I've watched all the way through twice. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not the same thing. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's good for what it is, but what it is is not something that I really care that much for. And, you know, there are a lot of shows that are like that where there is that one season that is just kind of a, a stepchild. And you just say, okay, well, this technically happened. Yeah. Like uh, season four of Community. Although that's that's worse. <laughs> I mean, I, I've not seen it, but uh, I've... I've I've heard things. That's when we went to Yahoo, right? Or was it no, last this, season of NBC? No, this was um, the season without Dan Harmon. It's the one oh, season without Dan Harmon. Got it. And so it is. It is obviously still of the same DNA, but mutated in such a fashion that it's just. Just you're, you're watching the same thing, but not the same thing at the same. Just time. regular kind of hacky writers who yeah. tried to ape Dan Harmon, basically. Yeah. Okay. You, people were trying to create a specific kind of thing, and it didn't work. And that's that's sort of what happens in News Radio Season 5. I could see that. So if anyone is interested in seeing News Radio, I recommend the first four seasons. Season 5, your mileage may vary. Yeah. And, uh, so, you know, I'm going to move real quick to the second episode and the, the rocket fuel gag. So good. <laughs> yes. Phil Hartman murders that. And there, so is, a, um, there is a super cut on... Um, on YouTube, oh, of all of the rocket fuel malt liquor spots. Wait, like there were more than one. Well, there was. I mean, he does like four in the course of the episode. That's all those together. Oh, oh okay. All good. those one, yes. one right after the other. So, so good. Every now and then, I will feel the need to just watch Phil Hartman completely destroy <laughs> rocket fuel malt liquor. <laughs> and if you have never seen news radio at all, you at least need. You owe it to yourself to see Phil Hartman do the "What's up, y'all?" Bill McNeil, yeah. Cole representing malt, rocket fuel, malt liquor. <laughs> it is 
So good. And then at the end, just going, damn, damn. <laughs> yes. I love that. I love that so much. And and did you notice on the rocket fuel, um, when, when they had the, the rocket fuel, like, bottle? Look at that Fresh Prince font, man. That was the most early 90s font I have ever seen in my life. I feel like all of these networks use the same, like, graphic arts or advertising agency to be like, hey, we need something urban, something cool, something hip. Yeah, it probably had not been, like, the fonts and whatever probably had not been updated since whenever I Fresh mean, Prince I mean, even started. the colors were, like, very similar. It was, yeah. <laughs> I had never really noticed that until we watched it. But, yeah, it's, uh, it's a trip. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not something that even seems current to the time. And news radio is guilty of being a little too on the nose for its times. Um, there's a specific reference to the song Ironic by Alanis Morissette. Yes, and how that's not correct, ironic. Correct. Um, there are various references to Governor Pataki um, throughout yeah. the um, course of the series. So it, news radio does trap itself in certain times, but that one is before even news radio. Well, and that's like 1989, 1990. Yeah. And, and well, and the, the whole, yeah, that, that whole thing about uh, ironic, you know, when they were smoking in the schools, I was like, wait a second. Like, this has to be early 90s then. But then when they brought up the Alanis Morissette reference, I'm like, okay, well, this is at least 94, which, again, made it super weird. Yeah, even at the time, it was kind of a dated reference. Mm-hmm. It was. But it maybe was. that, who knows? I have no idea. I remember when Jagged Little Pill was everything, but I don't specifically remember when people started talking about how nothing in ironic is ironic. I do remember having some conversations with people in my sophomore year of college, which would have been after, or well, around the time this episode aired. Hmm. Okay. About how nothing in ironic was ironic. So maybe we just had more time to talk about it back then. I mean... Maybe it was the first viral thing ever. I don't know because I, that could. I mean, there are there are things that qualify as viral before that, but that certainly was a viral thing. Yeah, because I, I remember people talking about it too. Now, the just just the the two people in the cast who are now <laughs> extremely a little, problematic, a little um, let's say different than they were in this show. Here's the thing. I think one of them is very different. I think the other is not different at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the two people we're talking about are one Andy Dick and one Joe Rogan. Yep. Um, and if you told me 20 years ago when I was watching this show that the person who would have the most cultural cachet from news radio would be Joe Rogan... I would have punched you dead in the face. I mean, yeah, like just seeing him and he he had the kind of meathead persona in this show, for real. Yeah, but he is very funny in it. He is he is very funny in this show. Yeah, I mean, he um, didn't become a humorless sign of the alt-right until very recently, so. Yeah, but uh, in in the show, if you can get past that, if you can get past his current baggage, he is very funny. These particular episodes weren't the best work that he's done. Yeah, but he still is very funny on this show. And Andy Dick is, he's always weird. 
Andy Dick right. always brings the weird, and that's he does that well. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's with both of these people, it's hard to separate who they were at the time from who they are now. Oh my god, yeah, Andy Dick, he's just I mean, I don't even know, like it's like a laundry list of problematic stuff that he's up he's been up to since probably this show was on. Yeah, well, I mean, there were probably well, there were things before um, before the show ultimately was canceled. Uh, the entire cast was banned from the Emmys, I think, um, having to, something to do with Andy Dick and Helen Hunt. I can't remember if he asked if she wanted to hold his dick or something. It was he. he Holy smokes! He did something unkind. To, to Helen Hunt. And at that time, Helen Hunt was a big thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, whatever he did, he shouldn't have done it anyway. But you did it to, like, one of the main people at NBC at that should time. should have a Mentos commercial running for, like, 25 years. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> no, don't you? Helen Hunt Mentos? Yeah, man. There was, there was, there was this, this, com- this Mentos commercial that was on all through the 90s and part of the 2000s, which show a young Helen Hunt. She's, like, running around, and this dude lifts a car for her. Man, I don't remember that. I'll I'll put it up on YouTube afterwards. But I, I remember her on Mad About You, but oh no, she she had a Mentos commercial and and it ran for much longer than it probably should have. <laughs> I don't know if the Mentos Corporation was just like, well, I mean, Helen Hunt's doing things, and we've got this footage, might as well use it. You only have that Foo Fighters heat for so long. <laughs> yes. So I don't think the folks who make Mentos had all that much money to spend after the '90s. Yeah, no, no, it's, uh, it, but but yeah, the the Helen Hunt Mentos commercial for some reason or another came on um, a lot of the shows I used to watch, and mm-hmm. I would just be like, "This is obviously a commercial from the early '80s." I'm not sure why it's still running. I don't remember that. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the second episode that we watched that we've talked a little bit about is um, season three, episode 19. It's entitled Office Feud. Mm-hmm. And the there are a couple of key elements to that episode. The A story is about um, <clears throat> a office upstairs that is doing some construction and causing a little bit of trouble, causing a lot of noise for the folks in the office. Uh, the B story is the rocket fuel malt liquor story, which is one of the classics of the show. Uh, Bill McNeil trying out some new spots for a decidedly urban beverage yes. <laughs> uh, with all of the glory that that entails. And the kind of C story is Lisa is doing a story from the White House Easter egg roll, and it is disastrous at every turn. Yeah. That one doesn't work out so no, well, which kids. is a shame because um, more tyranny could have been really better. worked well with um, Dave Nelson or Dave uh, Foley in particular, but she worked well with all of the cast. Mm-hmm. And I could see that um, she was great with her line deliveries. She was great with her uh, facial expressions, and she really did have a gift for comedy. Well, she's still alive. She does have a gift for comedy. She has gone um, on to other things, right? I think she was an ER. Okay, for yeah, yeah, a that's while, right. Or okay, and she's she was on the affair. If oh, I'm not mistaken. really? Okay, very interesting. Um, so she still gets work with our um, with our favorite Dominic West. Yeah, <laughs> who apparently is just the guy from the affair in real life. <laughs> oh no, um, is he really? Yeah, he's kind of a cheating piece of crap. Um, wow. Oh no, Dominic West. I mean, come on. I, on the wire, it wasn't like he was. He wasn't a saint on the wire. No, but uh, <laughs> he, he essentially is all of the characters that we've seen him play, Whew. which is sad. Um, 
but yeah, so more it's it's a shame we didn't get some peak more tyranny in these episodes. Although the first one was pretty good, but uh, yeah, another thing for pale friendless virgins in this time. This show had Candy Alexander, Maura Tierney, and Vicky Lewis. Um, all three women were impossibly attractive mm-hmm. in the nineties. Okay, um, so that was another reason to tune in. And in addition, me. they were all quite good, quite uh, quite good thespians. Yes, there was not a weak link on this show. No, so. Um, yeah, I. I mean, if anything, I would, <clears throat> I would honestly, to me at least, it was Andy Dick, just because, and this is a personal sort of uh, preference. I've never really been into Andy Dick or his his whole like vibe and shtick. That makes sense. And so, uh, I didn't I didn't particularly care for for the, for the gags in the second one where he's somehow. So I'm not sure if it was intentionally pranking Joe Rogan or what. No, he was just being, being Matthew. Yeah. Okay. Um, All right. And so Matthew's incompetence keeps getting Joe into these situations that he thinks are practical jokes being played by the people upstairs. Yeah. And okay. So the other thing, which fine, you have to suspend disbelief a little bit in a TV show, but on multiple occasions, they have like plaster and. Whatever is in the foam and the uh, fire extinguishers hit them yes. straight on. How do you get these clothes clean? Because there are other scenes where it's like the, the ties are crisp and uh, Joe Rogan's shirt is like okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to chalk that one up to sitcom reality. All right. Um, there, is a, there is kind of an explanation for uh, Dave's crisp shirts in a later episode because he just has a whole bunch of shirts lying around. Oh, okay, um, got it. Almost like he's trying to cover up for an office affair or something, but no, he just he just always has clean shirts around. Well, so. all right, very well then. Um, but uh, yeah, there's no good reason. Uh, I Within the universe of the show, Joe kind of lives in a van, which is always parked nearby, so he might have just gone down to his van and uh, oh, true, correct, because, yeah, right, and the first one, well, he, he has a residence of some sort, um, because yeah. he, he had put those sandwiches in the washer-dryer, or in the dryer, sorry. Good point. And then put him put them up on his truck, like, on his way in. Yeah, but he, he frequently mentions his van on the show, and, you know, if... It, it all depends on how far you want to go yeah. for the show because we all have these little things, these jumps that we're able to make. I'm a Star Wars fan, so mm-hmm. I have these little things that I've already worked out in my head and I've never even thought about them before for Star Wars. And it's <laughs> kind of the same thing for news radio. It's like, oh, yeah, Joe probably got him from his van. Dave probably got him from his desk. Jimmy, he's a billionaire. He probably took a helicopter home and yeah. um, has a, another suit exactly like that. So, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting. Like Stephen Root... Is not somebody I was particularly acquainted with until, you know, probably in the 2010s. Mm -hmm. And just to see him doing this kind of sterling work in the 90s was like, wow. Stephen Root was fully formed by the time he finally hit, like, American movie screens or TV screens. Yeah. Um, Because he he had already done, I think his first big thing was Office Space. Yep. Or actually, no, technically his first big thing was Crocodile Dundee 2. Um, really? Yeah, if you ever see Crocodile Dundee 2, look, Steve I have Root is seen in that. it a few times. I swear he's the guy. I, I know he's in it. I swear he's the guy um, at the urinal. Okay, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to check and see if 
I think Dundee 2 is on some streaming service. I know it is. I'm going to have to figure this out because I got to see Steve. I got to see young Stephen Root talking to Mick Dundee. He never looked entirely young. Oh, no, really? <laughs> Stephen Root just never. Stephen Root, similar to myself, I from the point that I was 15, I looked like I was 30. Uh, Stephen Root has kind of the same thing. He always looks like he's in his late 40s, early 50s. <sighs> Regrettable. But at least, you know, that... Yeah. that that allowed him to not be a hound dog and focus on his acting. Speaking for myself, you know, I, I've looked this way for years now. So for a man in his early 40s, I'm keeping it tight. Yeah, no, I'm, I mean, you know, you've always you've always been pretty, pretty suave. So it has its advantages. Okay. Because you never have to look back at old pictures and think, damn, where did it go? Exactly. Because I never had it. Mm. It's just I always looked like a tired dad. Yeah, no, I, I've, uh, I, my hair has been through a journey for sure. It's when we uh, met and you had a glorious afro. Oh yeah, correct. Well, I mean, you know, and you decided to try the mohawk for a while. Exactly, and just never came back. Then you went like late '80s Michael Jackson, which was a weird phase. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. I didn't say anything. I mean, it, 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 my friend, I support your. It was a weird time, you know. The like, I was buying afro sheen by the gallon. That was the thing. And that and, wasn't easy to do back then. Oh no, no! I mean, it, I, I had that to was go, a niche product. I, I had a special. I had a guy. Like I had to buy it from a van. It was. It was. It was all very not above board. As it should never be when you're buying Afro Sheen. Correct. If you want the really good Afro Sheen, you want to get it a little seedy. Yes, and well, I mean, you know, I, I feel like at this point, Soul Glow could become a corporation because <laughs> everyone knows it. I'm surprised no one's ever just like done a run of it to see oh, what they have happen. you know that's the, like they've they've now brought back some of these weird products like um god well i mean surge for example is back yeah the uh hydrox cookies are back yeah why not soul glow okay soul glow that that's what we have to that's our goal yes this podcast is to get soul glow back correct and hubba bubba soda <gasps> Hub, wait what what is the soda it, you it speak is exactly of? what it sounds like oh my it is soda that tastes like Hubba Bubba bubblegum. Wow. All right. This is a thing that genuinely existed. I never had Jolt Cola, but I had Hubba Bubba soda. And that was the same. <laughs> oh, my, my, my. It was the same end game. I was bouncing off the walls either way. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, Hubba Bubba soda. You know, they probably still sell it in like Norway or something. Yeah, probably. Because they never stopped selling Surge. I can't afford the import fees. Yeah. Sur- Surge was big in Scandinavia this whole time. Hmm. Yeah, that's good to know. Yeah, man. They, they've got nothing else to do. <laughs> exactly. It's so cold up there. Get hopped up and bounce off the walls. Um, so, yeah. So those are two episodes of News Radio. Um, like I said, I can't speak for the entirety of the show with these two episodes because it's impossible to do. It would be like showing someone two episodes of The Wire and saying, Correct. you know, this is one of the greatest shows of all time. You can't really do that. But... There is, so I think there are two layers to this. Because one is, you know, do you think it's a good show, objectively? And, and, you know, we'll use our scale, of course. Mm -hmm. But the the next piece is, would you watch it again? Because there's stuff you can think is great, but you'll never watch again. I.e. Requiem for a Dream. (laughs) Yes. And so I, I would say on both counts, I would watch again, and I thought it was a great show. So this was, uh, 
this was deserving of a, being a cultural touchstone, I would say. Now, I agree with you. Mm. I think it is deserving of a cultural touchstone. Uh, I, I think it is deserving of being a cultural touchstone. Yes. I don't think it is. Well, no, no. And, it, and no. the reason for that is um, it wasn't huge when it came out. Um, the network didn't know what the hell to do with it. Right. Um, and so they shuffled it around in the schedule. Uh, the creator, Paul Sims, had uh, constant battles with the studio. They kept putting it in mandates. They wanted a Sam and Diane relationship between uh, Dave and Lisa, uh, the more tyranny and uh, Dave well, Foley she did, characters. She did kiss him on the mouth. Yes. Um, but they wanted like a, a will-they-won't-they thing. Oh, I see. Um, in the second episode, they sleep together. And they are like a couple... Pretty okay. much, Interesting. There are some off and on periods, but there are a couple for the remainder of seasons one through three. Huh. Um, Very well. So, and there was another episode where they tried to, um, Four Weddings and a Funeral was popular. Um, and NBC was like, we want to do a comedy night where it's three, three weddings and a funeral. And so they told their sitcom people, um, three of you have to do wedding related shows and news radio. You have to do a funeral related one. Um, so they did a episode where they hold a funeral for a rat that dies in the radio station. And it's actually a really okay. good episode. But right. uh, any way they could piss off NBC, they would do it. Wow. And so for various reasons, the show just got forgotten about and buried. And because it is below the 100-episode syndication mark, um, it tends not to get picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know why that one... Actually, that one station probably picked it up because it was still an active show at that point, and they were thinking they would have more added over time. Correct. And then it got canceled. Um, But this is a show that deserves a better reputation than it has because Paul Sims, the creator of this show, he's currently the showrunner for What We Do in the Shadows. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, He wrote for The Larry Sanders Show. Um, He's responsible for this show. He wrote for, I think... um, 65 episodes of Late Night with David Letterman. Um, Interesting. That's quite a pedigree. Yeah, he wrote for a couple episodes of Girls. This guy has had his hand in... Hold on a minute now. Whether we want to call Girls good or bad, it is an important show. Yeah, I guess. It showed that women can be as terrible as men. Yes, exactly. And every bit is self-absorbed. Yes. And that's important. Yes. We have to show that women can be terrible, too. (laughs) That's true. Okay, fair. Ladies, we believe in you. <laughs> you can suck just as bad as we do. Yeah. Um, so I I want to call it a cultural touchstone, and that's why. Well, that's why I said it was deserving to be one because yeah. we both know it's not. Yeah, and that's why I think we need we need some sort of honorable mention. I think I would say um, okay. So if it's not a cultural touchstone. Because it's not regrettable, and it's—I don't think it's beige carpet. See, I think so. I think here we're we're conflating the the uh, the scale. Hmm. So, beige carpet and regrettable dalliance are direct kind of um, um, comments on the quality, right? Okay. Cultural touchstone, though, we're saying this is like the top quality. So, so we should, in fact, then I think maybe say it's something else. So to, to reflect its superior quality. What is what what qualifies as almost a touchstone? Hmm. What is something that is superior to the the legions of also rans, but 
does not have the upper level recognition. The Atari Lynx. <laughs> <laughs> there it is, the Atari Lynx. So, our inaugural Atari Lynx. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Neo is, Geo is news radio. <laughs> I won't go there for Neo Geo. Okay, I'll go there for Atari Lynx. But Neo Geo, no. Okay, very well. <laughs> yes. Okay, this qualifies as an Atari Lynx. Very because, well, because it is one of the first shows, um, along with The Simpsons, and I, I think there are others that qualify. But I think it is one of the first mainstream shows, along with The Simpsons, that. Um, that caters to nerd culture yes. without necessarily being exclusionary. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a welcoming show, but it pays to know your dorkness. Mm-hmm. It pays to know nerdy things. It pays to pay attention to details. And that's one of the things that makes this um, really special. And I, again, I think it deserves to be a cultural touchstone, but I know that it's not. So as the inaugural episode, we the rating categories are now cultural touchstone, Atari Lynx, <laughs> Beige Carpet, and Regrettable Dalliance. There you go. <laughs> so for our first episode, our first, uh, our first um, thing in the docks is getting the Atari Lynx. Very well. It's, I, I was thinking it would just be the, 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 the top, like, kind of ceiling would be the, uh, the Beige Carpet, but hey, man. Got a Lynx. There are some things that deserve better but didn't get better, and I think the Atari yeah. Lynx is a perfect a perfect exemplar of that. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Excellent. So, any further, any final thoughts? No, no. I, I think that we we covered it. Uh, watch this show. Uh, acquire it however you can, and, uh, yeah, watch watch the first, first four seasons. Yeah. Season five, you're on your own. Yep. Cannot condone that. Um, excellent. Well, so... We're glad that you listened to watch this immediately. Um, we don't have a thing for this episode. Maybe to we discuss, do. Do we? Maybe we do. I would say the next thing we need to watch immediately is um, an episode of Lost. Interesting. You know, I've never seen Lost. Yeah. Well, it. I'll. I'll get into it next time. <laughs> Let's just say I have a mixed relationship with the show. Mixed relationship for sure. Well, this is going to be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do you know which episode so that we can recommend to other people? Or I, we just have to I wait? do not yet. Let's let's wait. Okay. Um, in the future, we'll, of course, probably have an episode in mind. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go through and figure out which episode captures the excitement of early lost um without having all of the regrettable terribleness of later seasons <laughs> excellent so we'll just we'll we'll start out by saying watch um lost season mr black yeah <laughs> episode mr black <laughs> and we will see you next time for the discussion and the determination of whether or not it is a cultural touchstone. Have a good one. Bye. Watch this immediately. Watch this immediately.